Welcome to the Fergus Falls Business Spotlight Podcast, the show that takes a deep dive into local businesses and the individuals that run our community. To guide you along the way, here's your host, Jacob Bittner. Oh, all right. Welcome in to another episode Gosh, is is it fair for me to say I get more excited for each one of these? Is that fair to say, Justin? <laughs> you're, you, they're your feelings. All right. Well, they're my feelings, and I'm entitled to how I feel. And I'm excited for this one. Um, I'm here with Justin Ness in Neth Lutheries. Yeah, Ness Lutheries. N- sorry, Ness Lutheries. Justin Ness here, Ness Lutheries. It's kind of a tongue twister there to get us started <laughs> here. I like it. But um, we're going to talk about it's, it's a luthier. Yeah. Is that what is that how you say that? And that that means to make a guitar. Yes. All right. All right. Well, I'm excited to uh to hear this. I I'm sure that but outside of the people in this community that know you personally and what you have going on, a lot of people probably wouldn't even expect or think that Fergus Falls has some little shop tucked away somewhere that people are building guitars in or, or someone's building guitars in. So I'm really excited to uncover that and uh, kind of talk about that industry a little bit, really dive into your personal background. You've done a ton of different stuff, um, making music, making instruments for different musicians. And uh, so I'm just, I'm really excited for it. We, we cracked a little bit of a beer here. Take a big swig. We got this cheers here, by the way. We got some, uh, we're drinking to start off with here. This episode is sponsored by Fergus Brewing. We were putting Stumbinos on the back burner, although I did go see, uh, Jenny Stumbo today. Shout out Jenny for hooking me up with a nice fresh bag of coffee. Um, but it's a little late for coffee, so it's the it's the perfect time of evening for a little for a I, little yeah, beer. Yeah, I've had my Stumbino fix for the day, so I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to move on. Yeah, but we're Fergus drinking. Brewing. We got yeah, we got some Fergus Brewing beers here. We got four. We're gonna work through this first one. Is this Cyclone IPA? And uh, yeah, we've, it's tropical, juicy haze. It's a good beer. It's a good beer. So I'm excited for that. On top of that, though, um, I do want to thank Swan Lake, Elevate, Victor Lundin's, Hotel Eight, Fresh and Fancy. You guys are all the best for uh, for pitching in and, and helping out with this show. I appreciate it. So, all right. Do you want to talk about the? Let's just get into your personal background first, and then sure. we'll, and then we'll get into all of this uh, guitar making madness and, and all that. And I'm really excited to hear about it, but you grew up in Fergus Falls. Yes. I was born and raised in, in Fergus Falls and did, uh, all my schooling in, in the community until I graduated high school. Um, at what point I moved to the West coast, uh, to Portland, Oregon. Okay. Spent time out there. Um, and eventually relocated back to Minnesota where I bounced around to a few different cities, did some, some schooling, and five years ago, relocated life back to Fergus Falls. Okay, okay. So talk to me a little bit about growing up in Fergus. You knew, um, your name came up in Dan Dan Olson's episode because you, you guys have played a lot of music together throughout the years. You're actually featured in in the intro, in the outro of the song here. You're, you're playing <laughs> yes, some guitar in the intro and outro of the, of the um, podcast here, so... Talk about your background in uh, in growing up in Fergus and music specifically, kind of as you were growing up. 
yeah, growing up, um, I have fond memories of music in, in the community. Um, that was a time, you know, in mainly the 90s when I was growing up that we still had music stores, you know, one downtown, one out at the mall, um, places that you could go play guitars that you couldn't afford and being encouraged to do so. And, and there was still a lot of music happening um, with people starting bands and uh, and even looking back, it's it's always been amazing to to look now how many people were writing songs, original music back then even, mm. and you know putting CDs out. Um, we used to have a recording studio in town that that you could save up and 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 go make an album. And um, so it was a it was a great place to to kind of foster the a, a musician like that. Um, were so, you in some like some of those garage bands? We were talking with, uh, I was talking with Nick Gano, and it's like Fergus has kind of transformed from like the glory days of garage bands when like I feel like most of the gigs were at like the Armory or like it was like kind of the um, there wasn't really a lot of places to go, and now there's all these businesses that are like starting to host these musicians and stuff, and it, and I don't know maybe the younger crowd is still into that, but it doesn't feel like that like garage band community is really as active as it once was. So the community has shifted. Yeah. It, it definitely has shifted in a sense, but talk about like some of the bands you were in then growing up and like, when did you start playing music? Um, I started playing guitar and, and pretty quickly putting a band together around like 10, 11 years old. Um, and, and like you were saying, there's so many places to play. And back then there, there was too, but it was places you typically wouldn't, put on concerts, you know, right. Like a gymnasium that sounds <laughs> terrible. <laughs> um, so, but there was still the support. I remember the, the Elks center downtown was a, a big supporter of putting on events and, and, uh, letting kids get on stage and, and do their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's I mean, fortunate so, for that. Yeah. So, you you had do you have parents that were into music? Was that like a, a driving force behind like how you ended up in this industry or not really? I think it uh it became my thing. Um and I, and I think that's why I found it at, at an age that I did that it it quickly became my best friend and it, it, I wasn't really around it, so it was more intriguing, I think, that uh I think if I would have grown up in a very musical household, I don't know if I would have latched onto it the way that I latched onto it. Right. Um, but it was always very supported by my family and, and, uh, they just, uh, they're not musical, gotcha. but they enjoy it. They, gotcha. you'll find them out even to, you know, today they're still out listening and supporting mm-hmm. local music. Yeah. So they always have, always will. So what were some of the first jobs you worked? Did you have like some high school jobs? Um, yeah, I did a, I did a lot of like the food industry stuff. The first job was at Taco John's. Nice. Um, can't say anything but great, <laughs> great things about Taco John's. <laughs> they uh, gave me a work ethic. Yeah. At 14 years old. Okay. Um, which uh, I advise anybody at that age go go work there. Yeah, work in in any service industry. The service industry is hurt. Industry is hurting for people right now. So it is, and it's yeah. a great place to 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 learn some discipline. So absolutely. Absolutely. So then what year did you end up uh, graduating high school? Were you in some garage bands? Oh yeah. Lots talk of garage about bands. Talk about some of them bands. Yeah. Lots of garage bands through middle school, high school. Um, 
Were you playing music with Dan then? You knew Dan from when you were younger? No, or? Dan's a few years older okay. than me. So I, uh, I was, I was in groups that would play the same shows at those armory events and, and that type of stuff. But no, we didn't, we didn't play together back then, but, gotcha. um, always been a longtime fan of his, especially, uh, uh, radio on was a band that, that got together when I was in high school and they were a bit older and, and those particular guys, I'm, I'm still very close and good friends with all of them. And, and they're, a a staple to this community of, uh, influencing musicians of my age to and younger and just and younger and so many so many musicians have been have been dan dan and radio on have have influenced countless musicians in this area it's amazing it really is amazing what happens yeah. when someone get shares their passion and and they're good at it you know so. and they were writing songs and you'd, right. you'd go to their concert and you'd, you'd hear them play and be like oh man i love this song and you felt like you already knew it you know they're just they'd write timeless rock and roll and they're yeah. really good at it heck yeah so, so what sorry what year did you graduate high school i graduated in 2005 2005 and then um did you go to college right away or did you go do a little bit of no other stuff i uh yeah i, I went west to portland yep. that's when you went to portland so so what did you what brought you out to portland what was what was what were you doing out there i mainly went there because it was far away Okay. <laughs> Needed to, to get away from Fergus. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, don't really didn't have a, a much of a plan, except I had a buddy that that wanted to do the same. That we we played guitar and kind of wrote together, and we thought we'd just go out there and do that okay. and just grow. And that's really what we did. Um, it, we did many different projects together over the years, and, and it kind of evolved. Um, in, into various different bands and stuff, but nothing all that notable. It was just years worth of growth and playing and, and doing gigs. And so what were you, were you making money as a musician out there? Or were you working out some, some odd jobs or what were you doing out there? For I work? wouldn't say we made money. Okay. <laughs> we, we gained a lot of life experience. That's the way. Yeah. And had a blast and worked a bunch of random odd jobs just okay. to get by. But gotcha. we played, you know, we, we lived in a music house okay. with uh, nothing but musicians. So, I mean, it was that time in your, your 20s where the living room is just drum sets and amps and guitars. Awesome. And hmm. you know, we didn't have it. It's funny looking back. It was we were, we were living like it was the 90s because we didn't have Internet and we didn't have a TV and we didn't have a lot of things that you should at that particular time in, you know, 2008 or whatever. Yeah. And uh, we just, yeah, we listened to a lot of records and we played a lot of music and just lived. Dang, that's yeah. that sounds awesome. <laughs> so then um, how did that, what was the cap on that? What kind of put a, put a bow on that time period? Yeah, I mean, a few things. I think I just kind of uh, started to really feel like I was spinning my wheels um, in that city in, in particular, just uh, had things that I wanted to be doing, but wasn't really doing them. And the cost of living was really going up at the time that I left Portland, which would have been around 2011 or 2012. Right. Um, it just, it kind of stopped being so much fun and, and got hard. And I missed seasons. 
Uh, you said 2012? 2012. So you lived out there for like six or seven years. Yeah. Like, gotcha. Yeah, okay. So you spent a lot of time in Portland. Yeah. Yeah. It and was then, home. And then um, what? So you went to school after that? You said you went to school a little bit? Yeah. Or, so yeah. I'd always been intrigued with uh, with Luthery and that, that it could be a profession or that it could be something that you studied. And I know there was a, a handful of schools available um, to pursue something like that. And I looked into one in Arizona and I looked into one in Canada. And I never realized until I moved back to Minnesota that Minnesota has one. And, and there's only like four or five in the United States. And we happen to have one in Minnesota. Oh. So I was living in Duluth. Hmm. And... Um, kind of transitioned out of there with some life changes and 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 whatnot and and found out about the Red Wing program at that point which would have been around 2013 okay I think and uh I set up an appointment to go tour it and then after doing so it's just it's like well I think I'm going to college had you been building guitars prior to that like what when did that 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 hobby start for you um, I hadn't been building them. I'd, I've always fixed and tinkered on my own gear gotcha. over the years, but I did, I think I was in ninth grade for a science project. I built an acoustic guitar Huh. Wow. Um, with the assistance of my grandpa, who was a, a carpenter, mainly furniture and shelving and that kind of stuff. But he had a wood shop in his basement as a child. I'd spend a lot of time building projects or building my own toys, stuff like that with them and just kind of shadowing them. So gotcha. I, I'd had interest in that. Um, and it wasn't until ninth grade when I was very much struggling in science class. And and uh, my teacher knew me well enough and knew my passion with music that I think he kind of floated me that project. As, as so that doesn't to... sound like a science project. <laughs> yeah, right? It sounds like more of like a woodworking project <laughs> or something else. I had to play... <laughs> A scale on it and give the theory behind how it played the scale, but uh, it ended up with me just kind of like jamming a Pink Floyd right. song on it. Well, there are apps, and, and and that's interesting. I would like I would like to. I mean, the sound waves is science, right? The frequencies that the strings get struck at and the different movements on the frets that change the vibrations and all that stuff. That's all science. Yeah. The fundamentals so it is interesting. Is, yeah. yeah. There's a lot huh. to it and there's a lot you can control and manipulate with the wood itself. Right. To achieve that. And that's a, hmm. a pursuit that I'm constantly playing with and yeah. don't understand nearly enough, but uh, I don't, think I ever will. So yeah. that's kind of what's fun about it. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to let you drink a little bit and I'm going to rattle through my sheet here and maybe you could have some, some things to add to, and feel free if you find one, another beer here that you want to get into, we'll, we'll get into another one. But um, this was just my assistant who, hey guys, at times, guess what? My assistant might be a little off on some of this stuff. Sometimes some dates are off. Sometimes some information's <laughs> wrong. That's just the way it is. But uh, she does her best. I, I refer to her as a she. Um, my AI assistant might be a little bit more... Um, non-binary. I don't know exactly if that's Absolutely. the that's the term for it, but the uh the modern acoustic guitar, this is looking at the history of guitars here. The modern acoustic guitar has roots um basically in ancient civilizations, um but there's instruments that kind of inspired the uh modern guitar. It's the 
Oud, Oud from Persia and the loot from Europe. I'm assuming that's where the luthier maybe comes from, the loot. It does. Um, During the Renaissance period in the 14th to 17th century, the vahula and the lute evolved into early versions of the classical guitar in Spain. So Spain in somewhere between the 14th and 17th century was the birth of the classical guitar. And then in the 19th century, the the design of the classical guitar was refined and it became a popular uh, instrument for classical uh, music composers and performers. Around the same time, the steel string acoustic guitar emerged, which had a brighter sound and was better suited for playing in larger ensembles and folk music settings. Um, the acoustic guitar's popularity grew in the early 20th century thanks to the rise of folk, blues, and uh, country music. Um, it looks like in the 1920s and 30s was kind of when we saw electric guitars popping up. Um, various inventors experience experimented with uh, ways to amplify the sound of acoustic guitars. So, and maybe you can, as we get into guitar building and how it works, you can maybe talk about the how the electric pickups work and all that. Um, one of the earliest electric guitars was created by uh, George Buchamp. Is that Buchamp? Buchamp. I don't know if you've heard that. Um, and Adolf Rickenbacker. Um, in the 1930s, introducing the frying pan lap steel guitar. Um, the first commercially successful electric guitar was the Fender Telecaster, originally known as the Broadcaster. Uh, it was introduced by Leo Fender in the mid-1900s. Um, the Gibson Les Paul, uh, designed by guitarist Les Paul, and Gibson's Ted McCarty um, also became iconic in the mid-1900s. And then uh, we continue to see innovations uh, like the solid body construction, um, electromagnetic pickups. Maybe you can talk about that. Um, Amplification uh, paved the way for the electric guitar's prominence in various music genres, especially rock and roll. So that was sort of, you had this invention that birthed a whole new genre of music, which is still, we're still continuing to change that now, I assume. Um, It looks like, yeah, Fender was what, 1946. Uh, Gibson was founded earlier, 1902. Um, Martin Martin was probably the, it looks like maybe they were one of the earliest ones, 18, like early 1800s, mid 1800s. Um, Taylor guitars were established in uh, 1974. Ibanez um, originated in Japan in the 1930s. So I'm, I just rattle off a bunch of stuff there, but it, it kind of gives the people an idea of the history of, of the industry a little bit. We're, we're really less than a hundred years removed from where it really started to take off, which in the scheme of mankind, this is a young thing we're working with here still, correct? It is. And what's fascinating about that uh, is you can still find an instrument that was made in 1850 right. and play it. Right. So it's it's construction has held up. Hmm. Um there an acoustic guitar like that is made to repair. Right. And uh we still try to build them that way today. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I'm I'm excited. We're going to pick up um in we're going to end up once we get through this we're going to crack up this next beer which but then we're going to pick up uh your schooling and all that sure, and kind of yeah. go into like when you actually started building these. Um 
This is the Leisure Sweet Jalapeno Lager from Fergus Brewing. So I've never... Have you ever had a jalapeno lager? No, and I was excited to see are, that. Are you a spice guy? Yeah. I okay. Am. All right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's do this up then. We'll get this pouring. So talk just a little bit about... Um, that that program in Duluth a little bit here. Oh, the one on Red Wing. Or oh, is it in Red Wing? Red Wing, yeah. Okay. I was living in. Duluth. Oh, you were living in Duluth, but it, you were in Red Wing. Okay. Yeah, which I'd uh, never been to Red Wing before. Okay. I don't know if you have been, but it's. Uh, I, I you know I probably did it once when I was a kid, but then earlier this summer, me and my family went through Red Wing, and there it's a beautiful spot. You know, you got Red Wing Shoe Company there, right on the Mississippi River. Um, it's it's uh, it's awesome. Ooh, this. This smells jalapeno. Yeah, it's got a little bit of a punch. <laughs> yeah. I like it. So that was down in Red Wing. You want to talk about that program a little bit? Yeah, I spent three years studying there. Um, absolutely fell in love with that community and, and the town itself. The school is um, very well known within the Luthery community and respected. It's a very hard program um, to complete. I think when we started, uh, when we started the first year, there was upwards of like 50 students and at the end of the year i think we had like 12 to 14 Ooh, just some dropouts dropout um just uh failing out uh not taking it seriously enough um the standards are really high because they're they're putting people out into the industry into the workforce and you you have to earn that so that is a three-year program or is that like as long as it takes kind of program it's technically a two-year program i had never done any schooling so i had to spend some time doing some generals for okay half of a year they require you to do generals even to to get into that yeah it's a state technical college okay gotcha Um, so you know you, you do get a degree at the end of it gotcha what do you uh what do you think about this? Did you try it? Yes, I like this. I it's not too spicy. It's definitely got that jalapeno flavor, yeah. though. It's good. It's really good. I would Absolutely. drink this, you know, doing some barbecuing. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Pair well with a steak, yeah. maybe. So um, you had a year of generals and then a couple years of, of um, actual luthery. <laughs> yeah, there's a first-year program and a second-year program. And the first year, you are required to build an acoustic guitar, Um with the option of building an electric guitar. And I did both those. And then the second year, you are required to study archtop construction and build either an archtopped instrument or a mandolin. Okay. And then with that, you you also are required to build something of your own choice or design, um, for which I, I built two or three other guitars along with it that second year. Okay. So that... Now, what... I guess just kind of going back before college, like when, like what was it that made you just say, yeah, I definitely want to build guitars. I definitely want to get into this industry. This is something I absolutely want to do. And, and what made you see enough? Cause a lot of people, when they get started with something, it's like, what made you as a young adult see and believe that that was something you were actually going to be able to turn into a career? Cause that's a big <laughs> right. risk to take, to go into school. Like you have to believe that, there's going to be something on the other end of this that is going to be able to make money and you're going to be good enough at, and you're going to have a, have a flow of income from. Yeah. And that still scares me to this day. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm still working at that. But, okay. uh, um, mainly as I mentioned before, like the guitar fastly became my best friend, uh, in life and, and a huge focus of my time and energy. Um, I grew up in a home with a, 
my dad's very skilled at really everything he does. And when I was younger, it, it would be t- almost a point of embarrassment of like, hey, I really want this. And he's like, I'm not going to buy that. I could build it better. Hmm. And and he would build me something. And I can look back now and everything he ever built me that lasted so much longer than the Walmart version my friends had. Right. <laughs> so I acquired that from him that, hmm. that anything can kind of be built. Uh, and especially if you're going to do it, you know, do it right the first time yeah. and you're going to have a superior product. And so I grew up in that environment, you know, between I credit my dad and my grandpa of, of their ability to construct things, uh, you know, even down to, you know, building their own home or something like that. They're just very, very capable people. And, uh, I was always intrigued with that. So uh, building anything really to this day is still of interest to me. So like, when I figured out that guitars need to be built and somebody needs to build them um, outside of a factory setting, that, that that could be an individual that does that as a, a passion or as a job or a career or what, whatever, um, I just fell in love with that idea. And I think maybe it's easy to romanticize that idea a bit because uh, it is a very hard thing to make a living at. Um, even today, I don't fully do it, and that's my sole income. I do other things too. Um, I have worked in the industry, um, outside of graduating in the program, I went to go work for Tom Neckville of Neckville banjos in Bloomington, uh, Minneapolis area. Okay. And building banjos, building, yeah, bluegrass banjos. He's a very well known, um, uh, banjo builder that has some pretty high profile clientele and his, uh, banjos are innovative and just, uh, beautiful. And, you know, we're a small shop with three or four employees putting upwards of 300 instruments a year. Okay. Very hands-on. So you built, what, three or four, five instruments while you were in college, it sounds like? Yeah, five or six, somewhere around there. And then um, how did you land that gig? Was that coming out of college? Was that an internship? Did it start as an internship? Was it a paid gig right away? How did that work? Yeah, I'd, I'd started when I was still in the program that second year towards the end of the year, um, I was kind of on track with everything and I had a little bit of free time with my schedule and I'd met Tom and asked mainly if I could just go check out a shop because I, I just, I, I love seeing people's uh, studios or their, um, workspaces or, I mean, there's so much you can learn from just the way people have things set up. Um, so I, I mainly wanted to go see it and, check out his operation and in doing so uh i found myself like an hour into hanging out and i was putting frets in a neck and i was like oh like what what's happening here i I think this is like a working interview maybe yeah i'm building a banjo now (laughs) (laughs) was that the first time you worked on a banjo were you working on those in school too then Uh, was it just guitars or did they teach you all of those different kinds of instruments kind of all the instruments are are covered i'd done some work on banjos and i'd been playing quite a bit of banjo but i never built one gotcha Uh, there's a lot of similarities um, just in general wood construction Mm -hmm. of an instrument of, of any fretted instrument really so I didn't really know what I was getting into with it, but uh, after doing that working interview, he had uh, he was just coming on his 30-year anniversary of his his company. Okay. And they were doing a limited run of these 30 banjos. Um and I had I was just turning 30 
Okay. And so he hired me. And so it just kind of, it all aligned that I got hired to help with the construction of those 30 banjos. And then I stayed on. Awesome. Yeah. Sweet. So then kind of looking at that gig a little bit. So the banjo is different from guitar in the sense that it has that like sort of three quarter wood and then like the hide top. What is that? Is that a hide or what is that? Yeah. I mean, originally they would have been like a stretched calf skin. Okay. Um, and now we have synthetic versions. Okay. Um, gotcha. It, so well, very reminiscent of what a drum head is made. Of okay. It's okay. Synthetics. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, yeah, you want to, you want to talk about how long, well, how long did you spend working with him? Uh, it was two or three years Okay, that I, I stayed on. And, and that's where you built instruments for some big names, right? Like, uh, yeah. Like S- Steve Martin, the actor, who's the the musician and actor, comedian. Yeah. Com- you built you built a banjo for him. Yeah, yeah. He plays a couple neckville instruments, but okay. Um, one in particular we built a- at my time there, um, and that was kind of a cool situation because we he sent us parts of an old Gibson banjo that that he'd bought at auction that belonged to John Hartford, who's a, a well known musician. Um, and we built a new neck for that banjo. So it was kind of a double, double hitter there. So it was like a repair altercation, like of, of the instrument. It was was like a really cool historic banjo that happens to belong to this really cool historic person. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I wish I knew a little, maybe some people listening will know the, know those names a little bit more. Like obviously everyone knows who Steve Martin is. Pretty much, I would assume a lot of people probably know who he is. But uh, you want to talk about some of the some of the other people that you've been fortunate enough to build instruments for? So, I mean, base basically big bluegrass. It was a big bluegrass uh, industry that you guys were supplying when you were building with with what was the name of that company again? Sorry, Neckville. Neckville. Yeah, okay. Tom Neckville. Okay. Um, and yeah, I mean, he has a lot of people um, playing his stuff within that genre. Um, uh, Bela Fleck is a, a huge name in the bluegrass community and especially in the banjo world. And, and I know he's Tom's done a few things for him in, in my time there. We saw stuff go through that um, belonged to the Dixie chicks, um, the punch brothers, uh, Billy strings, uh, qu- quite a few of, of the bluegrass circuit huh. stuff. Interesting. Interesting. So what, how did then, how did that wrap up? What, like you, you were said you worked for, for about three years. Yeah, I was, uh, so the whole time doing that, I was very active in the Minneapolis uh, music scene playing with the group Daniel and the Real Feels. Um, So we were were gigging often. I kind of juggled those two things. Okay, so Bloomington, Daniel, that's when you reconnected with Dan down in the cities there and Wade Underwood, Alec Robertson, those, those high school friends of mine. Yeah. yeah. And that's, so you were jamming with Daniel in the real fields while you were working for this company. Yeah. Absolutely. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. We were, we were, that band was Minneapolis based. Yeah. Uh, Cause we were kind of all were living there at that time. Um, Dan was down in Nashville for a while. So what years would that have been? Oh goodness. Um, Around like 2018? Or? I think we were pretty active with that from like 2014 okay. to like 2018. Okay. Huh. And I mean, we we still played a little after, but I mean, we were 
we're fairly active within the. I wonder what Wade. I wonder there. what Wade and Alec are up to these days. I've I haven't kept up with those guys, but I'm sure they're. I wonder what those they're doing. Guys are great. Doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you keep up with them. Yeah, not you as much as I would like to. Okay. Um, but uh, I absolutely love those guys. Yeah. yeah. So you're playing with Daniel in the real fields and doing this on the side, and then um, everything just kind of you. D- you decided you were going to move back to Fergus after that or what happened? Yeah. So I was spending a lot of time. Uh, well, first of all, I mean, banjos were awesome, but they weren't guitars. So like my, my heart wanted to build guitars. Yeah. Um, Tom was super supportive and I could stay after and use the shop to work on my own stuff or come in on a weekend and use the shop when we were closed to work on my own stuff. So I was still building guitars at that time. But he didn't supply any, they didn't do guitars as a business. They no. were strictly banjos. Strictly banjos. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, I was still trying to grow as a guitar builder at that point. And then I started coming back to Fergus. Um, I had acquired a lot of my grandpa's woodworking equipment and tooling oh. when he moved into an apartment and sold their house. Uh, I was the only person in the family that really seemed to have interest in all that equipment. And instead of letting it go to auction for pennies, we we stored it in my dad's basement. And that was here in Fergus. In Fergus, yeah. So I started coming back on weekends. If we didn't have gigs and stuff, I'd typically come back to Fergus and just kind of like work on the the tools and the equipment and try to get things fixed up and usable again. And I eventually just set up a little corner of the basement as a workshop at my parents' house. And I started coming back more and more often because I could build. And um, that's kind of, I was doing a lot of back and forth. And I had my dog and we do a lot of hiking out like at One Mile Prairie. Hmm. And I just absolutely fell in love with this county again. Hmm. And Never really felt completely at home in Minneapolis the way that I feel in a rural setting. Gotcha. And I'd spent a huge part of my life living in city to city to city at that point. And I think I just kind of rediscovered that I didn't want to be in a city necessarily. So for quite a while, I actually drove back and forth just to keep that job at Neckville. And uh, it, it just got too hard. And I remember my dog not wanting to get in the car. Aww. And I was like, okay, well, like, you can just stay with my parents. And, and then a couple trips of that, I was like, ah, I need my co-pilot. You know, she's, yep. she's not coming with, so it's getting too hard. And and then I, I kind of started a relationship. And Is that with the girl you're still with now? Yeah, well, with my okay. partner, Chelsea. And, yep. And, I, and there's I and dogs. Dogs are a here. big part. Of, dogs are a big part of your guys's relationship. Huge part. Yep. Yeah. And kind of the, in a way, the foundation of our relationship. Huh. So. You want to talk about? That? You want to expand on that? Because I'm going to get her on. Yeah. At some should. point, she's going to get on and talk about what's the name of the uh, place that you guys. It's the. It, it was relatively recent. You guys started this, or she. You, you guys are kind of both doing this because where the grooming building is, you're building. Uh, your shop is right behind that building. Yeah, correct? my shop is in the backyard, and it's a house that that I bought um, when I decided to move to town. Okay, and that and, okay, so that was a house that you lived in when you first moved to town. Then, yep, yeah, and we, gotcha. we still have it and still live there part time. And, and then a lot of those tools in there are your grandpa's yes, tools. Yep, that's a lot your of wood them, shop. 
Ah, that's cool how this is all coming together here. All right. So, yeah, we have the Hawthorne and Flora pet spa. Hawthorne and Flora is the name of that one. Dog grooming, and and I assist with the dog baths. So that's kind of... Yeah, we were out. Uh, we were out watching at the nineteen ten sip house outside of Battle Lake. There, watching some blue red roses playing, and I got a chance to like. It was like five minutes of. Uh, I got to help dog sit a board. <laughs> you got a dog that you guys were boarding. I just like carrying it around, walking around, playing, listening to some music. So that's kind of fun. You guys have a. Uh, well, we'll get in. I'll get. That's a whole nother episode about the <laughs> Hawthorne and Flora, but we'll we'll get into that another time. But. Uh, Talk then a little bit more about that uh, transition into the startup. We'll get kind of get into, because I assume when you came back to Fergus, you were working another job. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I've done a lot of kitchen work as, as a day job. And okay. So at that particular time, I was working at um, Cafe 116, which is okay. now Toast. Yep. Um, and that's where Chelsea and I met. The, oh, okay. the classic, um, I, was, I was a cook. She was a server. And story old as time. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. So was she, okay, so then she was doing pet stuff after that, or that just started kind of? Well, she's done that the last couple of years. Okay, gotcha. And, uh, you know, moved into that professionally. But we've we've always, she she had a dog, I had a dog. We started doing a lot of hikes out at the prairie, and our dogs became fast friends, and, and. We did as well. So your do- the dogs brought you together. They brought us together. I love yeah. it. I love Absolutely. it, man. What a, that's a great love story, man. <laughs> I love it. So talk about then what year did uh, we'll get into Ness Luthery's Ness Luthery Luthery. Yeah. Okay. When did that When did that kick off then? Um, or was it you were building guitars when you that was a, it was like in a hobby state. You didn't stop. It's not like you stopped building guitars when you moved back to Fergus. You had your shop set up. You were building, working at Cafe 116. Yeah. Um, I started using Nest Luthery um, right out of the, the graduating out of the program. I okay. When I was working for Tom and then building guitars on the side, that's what I started branding as. Okay. Um, just had to put something on it and... So you were building guitars and selling guitars then. Were you selling them then at that point then? At, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Out, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So that that was in coming back and forth between working at the cafe while also still driving and working at Neckville, um, I pretty much didn't have any time off. It was working every single day. And, and the point in doing that was to save up as much money as possible so outside of the tooling that my grandpa had had given me, there was quite a bit that I needed to to acquire and purchase. Yeah, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to take out any loans, and I didn't want to do any grants. I wanted to truly work for it and pay out of pocket for it, so that it was mine to own and use. Hmm. And so that was kind of the grind for quite a while. Well, I pieced everything together and then I purchased a house and part of the purchase um, was that the shop would be built in the backyard and it was kind of just framed and and roughed in and the concrete work was done and then I had to take it from there. So I definitely took the help from my my dad who I mentioned is very skilled at all things Mm. and with his help, we, you know, 
did the siding, the, the shingles, completely built the thing from the inside out. And I, I built it as a four season woodworking guitar shop. And it's a two and a half stall garage, but that's its intended purpose. I've never had a vehicle or gasoline it's or anything. It's a beautiful in shop. It. In yeah. There. You've been over. Yep, I went right. over there. You helped me. Uh, I was looking for a string, uh, a string on my ukulele, like a little lower, a little lower uh, top string on my ukulele and you hooked me up. So thank you for that. By <laughs> the way. Yeah, thank you. Um, so when did you, like, when was that shop complete, ready to go? When did you start building instruments out of that shop here in Fergus? I think I started using it around 2019. Okay. And and officially moved in and started making sawdust at that point. Okay. And I still had a space set up in my parents' basement that I was doing some commission work out of at the time. Gotcha. Um, I was also doing repairs based out of Fargo at a, a shop called Gruber Guitars. Which Dang, so you were driving to Fargo. I was going to Fargo wow. a lot. And oh. uh, I'd pick up bigger bigger repairs and bring back to town, and I'd work on it for the week or two, and then I'd go return them. Huh. Um, and then I would work one day a week up there with Nick Gruber doing some repairs. Gotcha. And kind of juggled. Uh, with this industry, um, you know, a lot of the, I should mention the program wasn't just focused on on construction it was a lot of repair gotcha type work too they kind of cover both ends because to truly make a living uh in this industry as a luthier i think you kind of have to do both and i i dabbled with that for a while i did go full-time during the pandemic essentially and i was doing a lot of repair work out of your shop out of my for shop. fergus here or yeah. around surrounding areas in fergus here yep and then I met, like, I know you mentioned when I was in there chatting with you for a while, we had, uh, you mentioned you don't really do too much of that anymore. I don't. Um, as far as repairs, I still, from time to time, take on what I would consider restoration work. Okay. And, and there, I'm, I'm pretty selective about what I'll do. And it's typically something older that's really in need and worth doing it. Right. You're not going to, you're not going to fix some, factory made instrument like you're going to look at this and be like oh this is a classic this is yeah. something that is worth preserving in time this is something the world needs in the future i'll take that project on yeah Interesting. absolutely Interesting. And, and in doing so you get i mean selfishly i, I get to study that instrument yeah yeah and that's that's important i think to uh -huh. preserve it and to study and learn from it and apply those methods to what i'm working on currently gotcha so i kind of want to get into a little bit more of the transition to how you started your, you got the courage to quit other jobs and now you don't, you have the pet, the pet place that you help uh, work with, but how did you make that transition into this being your gig? Um, yeah, I think it helped. Uh, like I mentioned, I went kind of full-time with it or pretty much full-time with it during the pandemic. Um, Cause it restaurants, closed and that always been my day job so i went for it I, I learned a lot in doing so and it kind of resulted in me gearing more towards the building end of it uh, versus the the repair end of it and i think uh I'm sorry, I kind of forgot what I was. Oh going no, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. I was just, I was gonna ask about like kind of when, when you, when you quit, when you quit your work, and because obviously, like 
even if you sell, because I assume the instruments you're selling are probably not cheap. I mean, they're handmade, handcrafted. Like I was looking at some of the stuff you put out and they are phenomenal instruments. So, but even if you can get what, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm just going to throw out a number. Like even you get a couple thousand dollars or two to five grand for one of these instruments, like you need to be cranking those things out right? and finding buyers for all those on the other end. So mm-hmm. like, um, when were you able to like kind of start clearing enough money where you didn't have to work for somebody else? Definitely juggling repair with construction. Cause as okay. you mentioned, like I, I can't turn out enough uh, at the prices that I, I try to keep them modestly priced so that a, a musician can afford it yep. as a tool. And that's most important that they can and that they utilize it. Um, so I, I try to price on the lower side, but at the same time, I, it's a lot of work and I can't, I can't be giving them away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So that's why I've always tried to keep it that I have a day job too, just so I don't want to feel like I'm burning the candle at both. So is your day job then you consider the day job, the pet pet place then that, so you work with that, you're grooming, you're doing all that stuff too. Awesome. Okay. And then the benefit of, of having them on the same property is I can bounce back and forth and right. You can, I can be doing both throughout the course gotcha. of the day. I like that. I like that. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to get into another beer and then I, you don't have to slam it, but you can, you can't, you don't have to, but you can, <laughs> um, spicy, spicy. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of want to get into pick your brain a little bit about the process of how, how it works to actually build these guitars. You have some molds you work with, you do some other stuff, but I want to like kind of get into that just like not to bore the people, but just to kind of give them an overview of how that all works. Um, but I kind of want to, do you want to do the Shandy or do you want to do the Margarita sour? I'll try that Shandy. The Shandy. All right, let's get into that. Uh, it's the, it's the bottle rocket. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a lemonade Shandy. So shout out Fergus brewing rad lemony bike days is how this is described. So, it's that time of year. It was, it was warm today. It was a beautiful day. It was a little warm though today. <laughs> so there you go. All right. So what does it take to build one of these? Uh, build one of these guitars. How long? And like start to finish. About how long? What's the process? Yeah, I get asked that all the time, and I never had a good answer for it. Because they're all individual, and it depends on how much, how much time I'm given it. You know, like if I, I've never had really the opportunity to just start, start one and focus on it every day until it was done. Hmm. If I could, you know, maybe a couple weeks, huh. but that's not the way life works. You know, yep. I, I, I have various other things going on, and I, I have my family that. You know, raising a couple kids and you have kids. Uh, Chelsea has two children. Okay, that I'm, I'm very involved in awesome. raising and and consider them mine as well. And awesome, mm-hmm. cool. And uh, so, I the process you what you start with picking a good wood, right? I mean, yeah. like rich mahogany, <laughs> right? <It's> rich <laughs> so. mahogany. The yeah, the the wood is the key component in it, and starting with something quality will always get you get you there closer right off right off the bat and so part of that is 
why I built the shop the way I did is the wood is stored, it's acclimated, it's ready to work with. If you go buy something off the internet or off the shelf at a lumberyard, the moisture content's not going to be favorable for starting to build with. And it's going to crack, it's going to warp. You know, especially if you're talking about an acoustic instrument, you're going to thin that wood down to half of a millimeter at times. You know, it's very thin um, and it becomes unstable very quickly. So having my work environment controlled and my wood ready to go is a big part of that. Where do you source that wood from? I try... I've tried to do a lot of my milling on my own. Huh. Um, I, I use quite a bit of walnut that we've sourced just from a tree in town. Wow. That's yeah. so cool, man. That was in our backyard, actually. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so that huh. tree had to come down in, in Chelsea's backyard, and we milled it out, and that was five years ago. And it's been drying and, and ready to use ever since. Huh. I've built a few things out of that. Um, outside of that, there's a few lumber yards, one in Minneapolis, uh, one in Dilworth, Minnesota, actually, that that I'll go get stuff from. And then a lot of times when I buy something like that, I'll, I'll sit on it for upwards of a year before I, I work with it. Okay. Um, but more recently, I, I kind of have a project started now where I've been using a lot of reclaimed material. And... Uh, a good friend of mine, um, Carl, had given me these posts that he'd salvaged from 4x4 beams that were uh, at the state hospital grounds, at the Kirkbride grounds. It was the, the beams for the gazebo. Oh. They tore that down. And it was on the way to the landfill, and he intercepted it and was going to do something with it. And once he kind of cut into it and saw it was redwood, then he set him aside and was like, oh, this is... We Damn. should do something cool with this. <laughs> Dang, that's so cool. So you have like true local history it, it going into these instruments that you're sending out then. Yeah, sometimes. That's yeah. awesome, man. Um, So where have some of your guitars gone? Yeah. That's... And, and where have you put guitars out to? <laughs> I know I saw Dan was playing one out at the Sip House for a little bit. Um, A few songs. He was playing one of your guitars. Yeah, he's he's got a couple. I know the he has an acoustic that he plays a lot that I built them as well as an electric. Um, the other guys in Radio On, Ryan has one as well. I built a bass for Justin Retzloff as well. Um, there's quite a few people in town. Um, one of your sponsors, Greg Stumbo. We okay. actually uh, we built one for him with that wood from our backyard. Cool. So that one turned out pretty cool. Outside of, I mean, there's there's a few around the community for sure. I've had a lot of support from that with uh, musicians. But outside of that, I've sent stuff to uh, Oregon, California, Washington. There's one in Arizona, Tennessee. Uh, Some guys down in the cities, Minneapolis area are playing them. And how do you, how do you, sorry, if you want to add more to that, but how do you market that stuff? Mm Mm-hmm. That is a great question that I don't have an answer for. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've been fortunate where, um, I mean, to date, I think I've built, with the ones I have going right now, it's, I think I have like number 43, 44, and 45, like in the shop right now that I'm, I'm working on. Um, and outside of that, I have, I currently have four for sale. 
but that's outside of those four, I don't have 40 sitting around in the gotcha. shop. So that's been nice that they're out there. Yeah. Um, I do have friends that own a music store in Indianapolis. Um, and I've sent a lot of stuff down their way and they've been really supportive about hanging them in their shops and selling them too. Hmm. So you have some in retail then? Yeah, they've gotcha. sold everything I've sent them, so hmm. I, they don't have anything in stock currently, and they're they're good with the marketing and the online, and they have like a gotcha. Reverb store. So I've chosen not to put stuff. So that's on Reverb. I usually send it to them, and then they do it. What's Reverb? What does that mean? Uh, it's a it's a website. Oh, okay. uh, kind of like eBay, but for nothing but music. Okay, gear. It's gotcha. Just called Reverb. Gotcha. So so that's like probably like more of like a future outlook. Try to maybe. Uh, get some of your instruments out in some shops. Find yeah. some good shops that are willing to that are willing to take your on your products and 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 do that stuff kind of for you. Yeah, it's definitely an avenue. And then another would be um, something I've been avoiding for years, which is building a website. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Every time I sit down to start the process, I'm still I trying to figure my quickly out. dismiss the process and Sucks. just go build instead. So yeah, <laughs> it's like I'd rather just build another yeah. instrument. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I'll tell you, what, I kind of want to rattle through just a few things. We'll get we'll get a chance to kind of talk a little bit more about that. But I want to rattle through like, what do you have an LLC? Are I'm you a an sole L- proprietor? Sole proprietor. Okay, yeah. and then no employees. Well, my dad. Your dad. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, he'll so he's by trade he works for Ottertail Power and he's an electrician. Um, so he has been soldering longer than I've been alive. And when it comes time when I do electric guitars, and it's time to do the soldering and, and put the electronics together, huh. I understand all of it and I'm capable of doing all that. But his work is so much cleaner than mine that I typically have him come do it. Gotcha. And it's a fun way to have him involved. Yeah, and uh, I think he enjoys coming and spending time in the shop and Absolutely. doing incredibly clean work for me. <laughs> awesome, spend some time with your father doing yeah. that. That's super cool. Um, how about just to briefly touch on that branding? Your uh, the Ness Luthery. Yeah, yeah. What was that? Just like a college thing? Is there much? It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. You get you graduate from the program and you're. A certified luthier and luthier. a luthier that practices their craft the craft is called luthery and so i just used Simple. my name and then luthery and a lot of people that don't know what it is when you say it they assume it has something to do with religion and that you're <laughs> saying that you're lutheran or something but <laughs> <laughs> right? a lot of confusion with it but. yeah so talk a little bit about just uh future outlook kind of you mentioned website pipe dream um some maybe some different distribution. Like, are you currently working on some instruments? Are there, are there, do you like building acoustic more? Are you always building acoustic electric? Is it everything acoustic electric now? I, I mean, it's capable of it. Um, I'd still do quite a few acoustics that are just acoustic, you know, upon request, we can put the electronics in it. Gotcha. Um, but, uh, I like, I like the old way a lot. So I kind of tend to to gear towards that if I'm doing an acoustic guitar. Mm. Um, But I've been doing a lot of archtop construction over the last couple of years, and I've kind of taken the last year especially to – I shut down commissions, and I didn't take on any client builds so that I could spend a year kind of growing and pushing myself in the shop to to develop some new 
um, methods and tooling to to comfortably build fully hollow arch top electric guitars. And what makes that? Can you explain that what an arch top is as opposed because that's sort of an an acoustic electric, right? Yeah, yeah. And the way that I've been doing it over the last year is utilizing a vacuum press, and I will do thin, very thin, like one thirty second of an inch thick veneers of wood and I'll, I'll laminate five of them together in a vacuum mold to get the arching of the arch top instrument um, with five layers of wood. And when it's done, it's incredibly stable. Gotcha. And it's, it's vacuum formed to that shape. So once I pop it out of the, the vacuum fixture, it will forever have that arching glued and, and built into its construction. Awesome. And with that being said, when when our seasons, which are very harsh here, yeah. um, start wrecking havoc on the instrument, it will never crack because it's kind of built into it is almost uh, the problem's been fixed before it can ever occur just in its construction methods, hmm. which is... I'm intrigued with that, so I've been playing with that over the last couple of years, and I've finished my first three that way. Huh. Um, I think actually when you stopped by, you yeah. checked one of them out. I think that, yeah, there's a couple hanging up, hanging yeah. up there, and they absolutely beautiful, beautiful stuff. I mean, you uh, if you yeah, if you guys next time you see Dan Olson play, check out. I mean, he'll probably have that guitar, one of the guitars out there, like. It's beautiful instruments, and 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 I and I don't know where the scalability of this goes for you in the future, and where you're, how you're able to get those guitars out, or how fast you can crank them out, and how much money you'll be able to make doing this. But man, you have a skill that is absolutely amazing, and I and I have to believe that if you keep chasing your passion, um, life has a way of working itself out to where people who are really passionate about something that are that are doing that are it's going to be, it's going to produce good things. So um, I kind of do, I don't want to rush this conversation along because if there's anything else we want to talk about, we should absolutely talk about it. Um, but just like, do you have anything else you want to add to future outlook at all or where you want this thing to go? Um, yeah. Um, I, I hope to with time. Um, and I was kind of gearing up to do it before, uh, before the pandemic hit, but the, the going to more conventions and, and guitar shows okay. to exhibit my my work um, is something that I'd like to do eventually. But I decided to kind of just focus more on on and pushing myself to do the best work that I possibly can, mm-hmm. so that when I go showcase something that, that I'm I'm bringing the best that I can bring. Yeah. Um, so that's you, kind of been the focus. Have you done any conventions or shows in the past? There's uh, there's one in Fargo that I've done two years now. Okay. And we just did that a couple months ago. It's always a fun time. Um, but outside of that, I I helped with the Twin Cities guitar show. But that first year, I kind of I psyched myself out and didn't didn't bring anything to do a booth. Huh. And just just went to participate outside of that. But that's definitely one I'll be looking at. And there's quite a few others, um, but it's more getting my work um, where I want it to be before I start signing up for those. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting close on that. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's the future outlook. Okay. Um, and outside of that, just, you know, 
having more with life now there's there's more time than there has been in the last couple of years to put into the shop so that's been a good good, good transition because I do I, I juggle a bunch of other things on top of it so as much yep. as it would be great to have it be this full-time thing I have done that as a full-time job and I've I've juggled it out of my shop even and in doing so I found that it's better to be a little cautious and I want to keep the passion and the flame there so when something becomes 50 60 hours a week of you doing it full time it's pretty easy to like get burned out yep. on it and i've always looked at it as a retirement plan in a way of mm. i'm going to be doing this as long as my body will allow me to do it which hopefully i'm old i mean is it physically demanding is it something that you see yourself being able to do for a long long long, yeah, long time yeah i think then? i mean you see a lot of a lot of people that do woodworking it becomes something they do for yeah. huge periods of their life. Absolutely. And my grandpa did it until his back finally gave out. Yep. You know? But so it's, it's something that I don't want to put too much uh, weight or stress on it and, and end up not enjoying it the way I enjoy it because truthfully it's therapy for me Yeah, and it helps with my mental health more than anything to get mm. out there and, and build. Awesome. And I just tried to, Everything that I build, I try to do better than the one before it and to keep growing. That's the endless pursuit with it mm. and to keep learning. And the benefit of it is that it's an instrument when it's done, and that's pretty cool. And yeah. if it finds its way to somebody that then can take it and it becomes their therapy and they get to do their craft. <laughs> that's, awesome, like, that's all you could really hope for. That's, you know? that's awesome, dude. That's so much, that's so much good vibes and good feels coming out of that for sure. Um, let's get into a little uh, advice and mistakes. How about uh, biggest mistake you've made along the way? Biggest mistakes, personal music wise, building, whatever. Oh, I always give a hundred percent. Because if if you knowingly don't, then that's just going to be a thing to regret. Of well, I didn't, I didn't go all in. I didn't give one hundred percent. And what would have happened if I did? You know, I I, I should have. So, I think I think there's a lot of weight to that. Just if if you're gonna do something and you care about it, just care about it and really go for it. Really do it. And uh, just don't burn yourself out, though. Gotcha. <laughs> Got any, uh, got any, uh, business advice, best business advice. <laughs> um, if I did, I should listen to my own advice on that. Cause I, I'd, that's, that's a bit of a mystery that the business end of things mm. is, I think always going to be a struggle. And I, I think back to my guitar instructor when I first started, uh, at, at the Red Wing program, he told me that the best way to make a small fortune in Luthery is to start with a large fortune. Hmm. <laughs> and there's some truth to that. I mean, everything that you want a workshop, it costs a lot of money to get everything you need to have that workshop. And then you want to build a guitar. Like it's going to be a lot of time and time away from family and other things. So finding that balance it is a constant struggle. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Dude, that is great. I think that's what he said is great business advice in general. 
If you want to make a small fortune, you need to start with a large <laughs> fortune. That is that is like spot on. I mean, that, that probably goes to so many different industries, yeah. the startup costs involved in running something, and then you what you actually get out of it and how long it takes to actually make your money back on something when you invest so much money into it. I yeah. mean, there's a lot of businesses that resonate with that statement for sure. Yeah, so. I mean, I think... My approach to it, as I mentioned, was, you know, not taking out loans and not taking out grants and just working for the tools and working for the yeah. shop. And so it's it's all paid for at this point. And it's been a lot of hard work to get to that point. But now if I want to go use the shop, I just go use the shop. It's not, yep. you know, outside of buying just your basic sandpapers and glues and, and yeah. my wood, like everything I need is there now and yep. it's functioning. So it's, it's getting to the point where it can probably become more profitable, yep. but... It's been a, a long game. Well, good for you for chasing a passion and chasing a unique art. Um, and it's awesome that we have something like this going on in Fergus Falls because it's our, I think our community really does have it all. And once we dig, dig a little deeper around all these industries and all these businesses in town here, people are going to realize how much stuff, how much cool, unique stuff we have going on in town here. And you're a big part of uh, contributing to that. So good on you for, for chasing your passion, man, and coming back home and doing it. So, um, anything else you want to add to your operations at all? How can the people get a hold of you? Any of that stuff? Yeah. Um, look for a website one day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if anybody uh, does that for a living, uh, building websites, I'd love, love to hear from you because I don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of value in hiring the person that that's their jam. Yeah, I would love to support that. And, yep. uh, and maybe you could you could help out with that, and I'd hire you to, so I don't have to. <laughs> I'm sure. Do, I'm sure I could find a. Web, I got to get a web developer on the podcast. Yeah, get a apparently. Web I'm sure this community has a great one. I'm sure there is someone um, doing it. Outside of that, I've always just utilized uh, Instagram. Okay. More than anything, I'm not a huge social media fan, but that one in particular, um, kind of being photo based it's a good way to kind of show workshop yeah. snaps and you know a lot of behind the scene stuff that i'm working on because i think a, a big misconception too of of building is that if you don't really understand that above anything it's carpentry and that you're working with raw materials and stuff that we're not putting kits or Legos together. I mean, uh -huh. There is that option. And I think people might do that too. And it's a great way to get into it. If you want to go buy a kit off the internet and put it together and paint it and be like, I built this, but um, it, it, it's a great intro to it, but it's not my approach to, gotcha. to building instruments. I try to, to work with slabs of wood. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Your, your stuff is phenomenal. It absolutely is phenomenal. It's so unique. And I assume that if you keep going and doing what you're doing, you're going to be off to, uh, off to some really, really big, good stuff. So, um, what do you think of the, uh, bottle rocket shandy? Nice, easy drinker. Very good. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't get into this, uh, this margarita sour here. Maybe you and I'll crack that open after we turn the microphones off. If you still want to chat a little sure, bit, but, yeah. uh, we just we just capped off our longest episode on the podcast here. We're about to cap off the longest one. So oh, thank no. you. No, no, it's it's not it's perfect. It's perfect. I didn't want to force the conversation along. I didn't want to rush rush it along. Um because I really appreciated hearing this unique 
story and, and you've got a good one and you're on to something really, 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 really good here. So um, before we get out of here, if you guys want to get a hold of the podcast at all, ffbspodcast at gmail.com is the way to do it. I would love to hear your story. Um, otherwise, thank you, Fergus Brewing, for uh, pitching in some beers. Stumbino, Swan Lake, Elevate, Victor Lundin's, Hotel 8, Fresh and Fancy. You guys are all so meaningful, so near and dear to my heart. So you guys have a good one and we will be back with more.